Thank you, Chad. Church, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. This evening, we'll be looking at chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, all the way into chapter 2, verse 9. And as you're turning there and finding your place in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, You can call them announcements or just updates or things of that nature. First, I just want to thank those who were able to come out and be there, participate with our fall festival last Monday night. Uh, It was beautiful weather, a great time, a wonderful turnout. And yet, as great as the weather was, as great as the time we had, uh, we, we don't, and the great as the turnout was, we don't do it for the turnout. Uh, I was told at the, the fall festival near its conclusion that while we were there just intermingling that three, pay, three people put their faith and trust in Christ. Yeah, and so we should absolutely praise God for that because... Church, that's why we do these things. We, we don't do it just to have a good time because we can have a good time anywhere. Uh, we, we do it because we want people to know the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And so we praise the Lord for that opportunity that we had. I want to mention another opportunity that we have upcoming. You may have seen it when you were coming in. It's that time of the year again at Thanksgiving where we partner with one of our ministry uh, partners, the Aggie BSM, and coming up in two weeks from now uh, on, I think it's November 18th, that might be wrong, whatever the third uh, Friday is in November is the BSM Thanksgiving dinner. And what that is, is an opportunity for our church and a couple other churches in the BSM to make connections with international students over food at the table. And it's up to us where those relationships and those conversations go there, beyond there. But we know as Christians, as we've just learned through Acts, that God has put us here for a purpose to proclaim a message. And so this is a wonderful opportunity. Again, we do it not because we've always done it. We we do it because we see the value in it and connecting people to Christ, the nations to Christ, if you will. Because one of the unique things about living in Bryan College Station is that the world is coming here, right here at our doorstep. And we have a wonderful opportunity, and we as God's people should take advantage of it, especially when we remember who Christ is and what God has done for us through him and who he's called us to be as his people. And so we would love you to participate by either coming to that, and if you can't come, we know sometimes people can't come, things happen, we understand that, we're reasonable, but there's opportunity for you to participate by signing up to bring some food. And you'll see out there at the Connection Center table uh, an opportunity for you to bring some side items that will help build the bridge in conversation, right? I found it a lot easier to talk to somebody when I have a cup in my hand or some food in my mouth, hopefully not talking while I'm eating, but you know what I'm saying, right? And so please take advantage of that. And lastly, I want to mention this to you as you're coming in also, we have this prayer table out there. And uh, if you want to know more about our prayer ministry, please see Frank Wingfield after the end of the service. And this month we're, we're dedicating to our governing officials and rightfully so, as we know, this Tuesday is election Tuesday. And we want to call your attention and how to pray 
for this time, and it's significant. And listen, this is about as much as you'll ever see me talk about politics. But really what I want to focus the attention on is, again, I want to arm you in how to pray. Uh, because I, I want us as God's people to know that uh, we have an opportunity to make an impact uh, to some degree in, in what we do on Tuesday. And no matter what happens, uh, we continue to pray uh, for God's appointed leaders that he puts in place. Again, I want you to see the common theme here. And all three of these things that I said with the fall festival, we don't do it for the turnout, for the weather, for the good time. We do it for the sake of others and for the glory of God. We do this Thanksgiving festival, not because we've always done it, because we want people of the nations to know our great king. Again, it's about God. And this Tuesday at the election, listen, whoever wins office, they are ultimately, and and I'm not trying to make light of what they do, they're a Band-Aid. Uh, to what's going on in our world. God can use them, but even their stay there in that position of power is temporary. But God can use them and, and, and use them he will to both judge and to bring correction and, and to bring maybe a more wholeness to society. And so we have a part to play in that. And our main part is to pray. And so I encourage you to do that. But again, really what I want us to see in these three things, and as we look at Malachi tonight, is that we need to have a God awareness, a God consciousness, if you will. One of the big problems that's happening as we come to the context in the book of Malachi is that people are really just asleep at the wheel, God's people. And really what he's doing through the prophet Malachi is he's telling people to wake up. Then, and for us now, as we listen to his word, There's one thing that God's people should not be doing uh, in this time and in this season of life as we have to live is to fall asleep at the wheel. It's just to live your life under the radar and just wait for him to call you home. Now, God has a unique and special calling for his people to be light in this world, to be salt in this decaying world. And what we see here in the book of Malachi is people have forgotten their God. They've become so familiar with him that it's just become routine to do the things of God. And we can do the same. And so this is a spiritual wake-up call, if you will, as we go through this book. This is one of the reasons I chose it. I chose it for myself, but also for our church, especially as we get ready to enter into these holiday months, November and December, we have a tendency just to kind of put things in cruise control. All the holidays are here. Let's focus on the holidays. Let's focus on the food. Let's focus on our family. And those things are all well and good, and there's a place for them. But they shouldn't take priority over our overarching calling to be his light, to be his witnesses in this world. And what we see here in Malachi is people who have forgotten. And specifically here tonight, God has a word for the spiritual leaders of the land. 
the, the Levites, the, the, the lead influencers and worshipers for God's people to look to, to receive instruction and to imitate in some way, shape, or form. And so as we begin tonight, just thinking about that we exist here to glorify God, I want to read to you a quote about the knowledge of the holy from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show you that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains how high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And for us, the most portunous, and that word, it means grave or serious matter. So the most grave or serious matter or fact about any man is not what he is given time may so or what he may in his deep heart conceive God to be like. We tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is not only true of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. And so I, I pose that question to you. Who is God to you? Where, where do you get, how do you fill in that blank? How do you fill in that question? What's your answer? What's the source of your answer? This evening, I believe through God's scripture, we, we see God calling people back, specifically his leaders to remember their position their calling, but most importantly, who their God is, because they had forgotten. You see, our view of God will ultimately determine the direction of our life. It really will map out your life. Again, some of us here tonight, I'm just going to ask this question, this rhetorical, why are you here? Are you here because it's Sunday? This is something that you always do? Or are you here because you know and have experienced the great mercy and grace of our God? And it moves you to want to be here. You have prioritized this time. And man, we meet in the evening. This is not normally what churches do, all right? They meet in the morning. Not in the evening. If they do meet in the evening, they usually have a morning service too. But this is our sole service that we have as a church. We meet in the evening. We do things a little different around here. And so we make a priority to, to make this the time that we will gather together because we say that God is worth it. So do we do this out of habit or we do it because we've been moved by the mercy of God to be here? And we can quickly drift into one or the other. But I pray that as we go through this text, that God uh, would again recall to you his character, his attributes, his activity in your life, and what he's seeking to do. And what he was seeking to do in that day is to restore 
the proper awe and reverence to the worship of his people. And I believe he wants to do the same for us here this evening. And the big idea that I want us all to keep in mind is this, is that our view of God, it impacts our worship, our work, and our witness. Our view of God, who we believe him to be, how involved we really think that he is, and he's very involved, impacts our worship, our work, and our witness. In the context of this is, if we remember last week from our opening message in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that despite God's sovereign love that he has displayed to his people, Israel's priest who are the lead worshipers, the spiritual influencers of the community have responded with corrupt actions stemming from apathetic worship. They had grown cold and indifferent in their relationship with God, and it was beginning to show in their work and and how they lived. And God was fully aware of it. And because he loved his people, and didn't want him to continue that way, he rose up a prophet, Malachi, to go and speak to them, to give them correction, to give them a warning, to to turn, to turn back to God, to forsake all these habits and practices they had picked up from the surrounding nations. For you see, God had called them to be set apart to be light to the nations and not like the nations. And so as we begin this evening, I want us to keep this big idea in mind again. Our view of God impacts our worship, our work, and our witness. And as we usually do, I want to begin reading in the scripture, beginning in verse 6 down through Malachi chapter 2, verse 9. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if I am them a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon the altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present this to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting of my name, will be, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruits, that is, its food may be despised. Verse 13, but you say, what a weariness, what weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. 
For I am the great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offering shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. And he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, and you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Again, the big idea, our view of God, it impacts our worship, our work, and our witness. And so as we begin tonight, we're going to see how first, how our view of God impacts our worship. And so as we start tonight, let's start by defining what worship is. Now, when we hear the word worship, a lot of us tend to think of maybe what we're doing here for this hour and a half. So we assume because we're singing and we're praying and we're listening and preaching, and we're showing a certain amount of piety and reverence here in this place that we're worshiping. And you would be correct to a certain degree. Praying is involved in worship. Preaching is involved in worship. Showing a certain amount of piety or or respect or reverence for this place is uh, a part of worship. But worship is more than simply these things. It's, It's a facet. It's an element of our worship. There's more to it than that. It includes our actions, but it also is greatly impacted as we've been talking, or as we were talking about this evening, our awe, our our attention to something. Our awe, really, it's something that impacts both our actions and our attitudes. It, It garners our attention. It stirs our affections. Let me give you an example, again, being that this is a town that loves sports, and I'm a person that loves sports, and maybe you love sports, maybe you don't. Uh, but in this, ta- uh, you know, in this town, we, we love the Aggies, even when they're not having such a great year. We certainly, we love the Astros. And for the better half of three weeks, our town has been, our town and this part of Texas and probably other parts of Texas have been captivated by their march all the way to the title, right? We, 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 we wanted to know what time do the Astros play so we could get in front of the television or turn on the radio if that's what you do. And we kind of reoriented our 
schedules maybe around being at home. I'm going to work later so I can be at home to watch the game. And there's nothing wrong with following a team and keeping up with a team just as long as it's in its proper place. But, you know, we can allow those things to dominate our attention, to dominate our affections. And really what we're doing when we allow those things, what we're doing in those instances is we're worshiping. When something has our attention to, to that degree, and, it's, and we're so invested that, like, we, like, get angry. Like, when things don't go our way with our team, that's a symptom that you might be too invested. Right? There's certainly nothing wrong with be passionate about your team, but if you lose sleep or you're frustrated or any of those things, you need to pay attention to that, right? Because the symptom, man, there, there's something going on there that should not be going on. We're, we're potentially worshiping something we don't need to worship. And uh, this is something I have to tell you to myself, being a, a guy that loves sports, right? I love my teams, and some of my teams are doing great, and some of them aren't. But my life and my attitude and my actions certainly should not be defined by a piece of leather, whether it's going in a hoop or going through the air and people are bludgeoning each other to get that ball. Uh, and, and, but keep that in mind. But this is, this is something that we worship. And maybe it's not sports. It could be something else. It could be work. Needless to say, there's so many things that we can worship, so many things that we can turn an idol into. And whenever we give our attention, our affection to those things, what we're saying, even though we, not, we may not be saying it with our words, is we're saying that this is it. This is worth it. This is worth my time. This is worth my energy. This is worth my investment. It's worth it. In fact, that's where the word worship derives from. It derives from an old word that means worship. It's ascribing to something or an individual of honor and respect, something of value. And, and so what Malachi is intending to do for the priest and for the people is to restore uh, the proper perspective and value they should have towards God. An attitude adjustment, if you will, aimed directly at their hearts. Because as they begin to look at the priest's life, they see something that's not right, that's off. And this is where we see God, through Malachi in verse 6, address, make his second declaration concerning what he sees about the people. If you remember last week, I, I said that the, the messages in Malachi can be broken down into six declarations or disputes that God has with his people as he looks at them. As he looks at his people, he, doesn't, he, he, he sees his people, but they don't resemble him. And so he says something to them. Last week, he was concerned about their love. And they questioned God's love. Well, here this evening... God is concerned about his honor, about worshiping him. And notice what he says in verse 6. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if I am then the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name. God's concern is with their honor, their, their worship of him. They had 
They had grown cold-hearted in their worship. They were, again, we're, we're just going through the motions, if you will. And how did God's priests respond, his people? Look at the end of verse 6. But he says, but you say, how have we despised you? It almost seems that they're clueless to what God is sharing with them. But as we look at it from our vantage point, it's pretty obvious, right? But that can be a dangerous thing about our relationship with God. We can think we'll be doing pretty good, but we could be off track. We could be out of alignment. Again, and what helps us get back in alignment, back on track? Here, for God's people, it was Malachi. It was his word. And for us today, it's the same thing. God uses people. He uses his word to point us back to him. And this is what Malachi is doing. And I want you to take notice of something. Before we get more into the priest actions and what they were doing, I want you to see in this text, because it's significant uh, to understanding our view their view of God and the view of God that we should have. I want you to notice that there's a certain name that's mentioned many times. You may have heard me say it over and over again, and that's significant. We should pay attention to that. In this text, uh, we, we, we see the word name mentioned eight times in these verses. God is concerned about his name, right? But also in this text, we see a specific name mentioned, the Lord of hosts. It's mentioned nine times in this text. In fact, when you think about that name, the Lord of hosts, it it means armies. And it's a reference to angelic armies of heaven. God is the general. God is the commander of the armies of heaven. The Lord of hosts is pointing to, is personifying, is painting a, pinch, a picture that God is an all-powerful God. When you look through the Old Testament, 43.6 percentage of the time when this Lord of hosts is used, is used in Malachi. So, so why is the name Lord of hosts used so much in Malachi? We need to again understand the context Uh, of what is happening to God's people. At this time, God's people are just a tiny province in the Persian Empire with little resources and no army of their own. And so it would be a great comfort to God's people to know that even though you are swallowed up in the great, strong Persian Empire, that I still see you and that I'm with you, and I'm more powerful than any nation that will rise up and come against you. And yet, God's people, in this case, the priests, they're out of touch with him. Why has this happened? Again, why have they grown cold in their relationship with God? How can they not see something that, you would think is so obvious. Well, what's going on? Well, we look at the priest's work. Because again, if the priest knew that the Lord of hosts was with them, that should have been enough for them to change. 
but it didn't. And so God, he evaluates their work. And he points out to them very clearly after they asked the question, they had the audacity to ask God, how have we dishonored you? How have we despised you? And God had an answer. He pointed to their responsibilities, their, their job description, if you will. And so what was the, the job description of the priests? The priests, they had primarily three duties. They were ordained by God to offer sacrifices. If you were with us during our study, the book of Leviticus, Perhaps you can remember that far back to some of the reasons of why they did these sacrifices. The priests were also to instruct the law. This is mentioned in in, uh, Malachi chapter 2, as God has given the warning to the priests. But the priests, they would also determine whether a person was sick or healthy. They were to serve God, but they were to be for the people. God put them there to be a leader, to be an influencer for the people. So everything that they did, it mattered. Everything that they did had an impact on the rest of the community. They had the special privileged responsibility to teach the law, to point people the way to go, the correct way to worship God. And somewhere along the way, they had been corrupted by the surrounding nations. They had probably, just like the people that we, were, that we were looking at last week, they had grown indifferent in their love of God because as they looked around and considered everything that God had said, they didn't really look like, man, we don't really look like God's promised children. We're this tiny little province surrounded by the Persian Empire. We don't even have an army of our own. In our promised land, yeah, we have a temple. Yeah, we have a, a wall around it. But it doesn't look like it looked before or what we heard about before. Again, looking at circumstances, instead of remembering everything that God had done, perhaps the priests are there with everybody else. And so the priests, they begin to take shortcuts. They begin to do things differently than God had instructed them to do concerning the sacrifices. And God points out to them, By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table must be despised. So what is the significance of this as we we get into this? Again, I, I call you back to remember the priest's responsibilities. One of which was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. I want to paint a scenario for you, so just travel with me. We'll see how this goes. Imagine you're getting ready to have somebody over to your home, somebody that's important or just even a guest. Anybody that comes into our home should be treated with respect and with dignity and with care. And so normally, if we're going to have somebody over, are we, are we not? Maybe you don't. Maybe people are okay with it. Are we not going to cook a freshly cooked meal? Probably. Or at least go pick something up at a store in town that's hot. Now imagine, if you will, you forgot to pick something up. On, you're supposed to pick the groceries up or whatever, and you're on your way home, and you hit a hog on the way home. You see the hog? You're like, 
I forgot to go to the grocery store, but there's some meat right there. I'm just going to pick this thing up, put it in the back of my truck or in my car or my trunk and just take it home and take it home and clean it up and throw some spices on it. And, and then imagine you're sitting down at the dinner table and your guest is like, man, this meat, this is amazing. Where did you get this from? He said, the funniest thing is it's roadkill. I hit it on the way home. Now, would you tell them that? No. Right? But you would try to, maybe, I mean, that was definitely a detail you would want to leave out. Why? Because nobody in their right mind, right, is going to serve roadkill to a guest. And yet, essentially, this is what's happening in the nation of Israel. They are bringing as sacrifices things that are second best, that, 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 are, that are blemished, that are defects, leftovers, if you will, something that really doesn't have a lot of meaning. This is what they were doing. And what is the significance of this? Again, I, I call you to remember the significance of the sacrifice. Sacrifices reminded God's people of the seriousness of sin. Sacrifices reminded God's people of the necessity of a spotless sacrifice. And sacrifices would also remind God's people of their special set-apart calling as his. And so if they're bringing whatever... It's not going to be take too long for them to think whatever about this whole worship gathering, about giving God something that matters. Because it really doesn't matter. Just bring whatever you have. And friend, that's an attitude that we bring into the church. I can just come any way that I want, right? If you're his children, that is not the mindset or the attitude that you should have. Right? If you're not in Christ, there's not an expectation upon you like there is of his children. If you're here without Christ, we are glad that you're here. You come as you are. Don't hide because God already sees you and he wants to know you and he wants to save you from your sin and put you into a right relationship with him. But if you are his child, he has expectations of you that we gather here not out of habit or routine. We gather here because of who he is, because of what he's done, because he has shown us mercy. He's shown us grace. He provides for us on the daily. While we are sleeping, he is watching over you. Do you ever think about that, that God doesn't sleep? He doesn't need sleep. We need sleep, right? Why? Because we're weak. We can't function without it. God doesn't need it. He's never slept. He's never taken a nap, and he never will. He's always aware, he's always there, and he cares. You can't fool him, you can't pull the wool over his eyes. He sees you for who you are, even when you think nobody is around. This is our God. And this is what the priests are trying to do. They're trying to pull a fast one on God. And they're accepting this, and shame on the priests for doing so. The people should have known better, but who should have known better than the people were the priests. But the priests were, were taking these offerings, bringing them before God, and then asking God to, to bless them and asking for favor. And 
Malachi is like, hey, would you bring this to the governor and expect him to give you favor? No. I mean, would you expect somebody to pay you a compliment if you served them up roadkill and you told them it was roadkill? Would you expect them to say, this is the greatest roadkill I've ever sank my teeth into? Can I have some more? No, you, would, you wouldn't expect that. And so what, what Malachi is saying here, you, you're expecting God just because you're going through the motions, just because you brought in sacrifice, a blemish sacrifice, for him to accept it, for him to overlook, but that's not who God is. God has expectation. God has requirements. And he expected a sacrifice that was spotless, without blemish, that was pure, that was costly. Friends, everything that happened in the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. It's painting a picture to Christ. It's why no good old man would do. It's why Jesus had to come to earth. Because we needed something outside of man, something better than man. We needed the God-man to come and to live a life perfect. And so they were muddying the waters, muddying the message of God's holiness, of his perfection, and his demand for a spotless sacrifice. No wonder the community was corrupt. No wonder they were beginning to resemble the surrounding nations because they weren't worshiping God properly. And as I said at the beginning, how we worship, how we view God, man, it will map out your life. You tell me, if somebody were to sit down and tell me, now I won't know the details, but if you tell me, this is how I view God. God is my buddy. God is my friend. He's obligated to give me blessing. And you see him as a genie or your butler. I can tell you, you won't follow that God very long. You will be greatly disappointed and you will walk away from that God because that God does not exist. And yet, this is how Malachi, in, in his day, the priests, the lead worshipers were leading God's people. And you can... and. This begs the question, why didn't they see it? We see it with their sacrifices, and we see it even with their offerings, that they were put off and, and wearied by their responsibilities and what they were having to do. It's almost like they're saying, God, give me a break. We brought you something. Shouldn't that be good enough? Right? Now, we, we grade on a curve. We, we Man, but God does it when it comes to worship. And God is a jealous God. And his jealousy is not because he's insecure. His jealousy is because it's a jealousy for you because he loves you. He knows what's best for you. And what's best for you, what's best for me is for us to worship him, for us to know him. And how we know him is by looking to his word. 
That's how God's people did in the Old Testament. They were instructed by the Levites, or were supposed to be, they were supposed to instruct them on the law. Because the law points to who God is. Points to his character. It points to his promises and his blessings. And yet, they were put off by it to a certain degree. And then in chapter 2, we see God gives uh, a warning. God instructs the priest. It says in chapter 2, he tells them this. Listen to this. And now, O priest, this is the command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse. God is asking the priest through Malachi, and to take it serious, this role that I've called you to. Not just hear what I'm saying, but to do something with it. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm saying this to myself too, but like when we hear God's clearly, when we hear his word clearly and it goes in one ear and out the other and we don't do anything with it, it's incredibly disrespectful. I mean, think about those who are parents, right? Or have been a parent and you're giving instruction to your kid You tell them exactly what you want to do. I mean, you nail it. It's completely clear. It's short and to the point. And they do the absolute opposite right in your face. What would you do? You would discipline them, right? You would correct them. You're not going to let them get away with that. And God won't either. If you're his child and you disobey him, Right? Because he loves you, because he cares about you, he's not going to let you get away with sin, with disobedience. And this is what's happening here. He is calling his people out, calling them back, calling them to remember his name, to remember what he's done, how he's cared for them, how he had chosen them, how he had been with them, how he had protected for them, how he had provided for them. God says, take to heart. And if you don't, he goes, one, he says, your descendants will suffer. There'll be a curse upon you, but also on those who come after you. And so it affects others. He's, he's again, reminding the priest This is why God goes after leaders in the church because the enemy is after collateral damage. But he says, you will also experience public humiliation. It'll affect the people, but it'll affect you as well, publicly. I'm going to make an example of you. And here's a rather interesting way of describing what he's going to do here. He says, literally, I'm going to rub feces in your face. Yeah, and we laugh at that, but if you've ever had feces in your face, it stinks. Right? And so here's an elementary point for us all. When we don't follow God and do what he says, it will stink for your life. It will stink. 
This is what he's telling them. Hey, you don't follow me. It's going to be bad for the people, but it's going to be bad for you. Right? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that in my face. I mean, God is wanting them to remember their witness, that their witness matters. How they live their life has an impact on others. He had an expectation of these priests to, to, to fulfill their role, their responsibility. He gives them this job description that we see. He, he, God doesn't just, he holds them accountable to something he's told them. This is what the scripture does. There's no surprises when it comes to what God expects of his people. If we don't know it, it's because we've not read it and we have not delighted in God's word. But as we spend time in his word, he will begin to show us how he expects his children to live. And we don't do this to gain favor with him, to to prop ourselves up. We do it out of gratefulness. We do it as a means of worship to him. After all that he's done for us. And he tells them, hey, you need to live up to this example. And he shows them in verses 4 through 7, their expectation. In verses 8 through 9, we see how they have failed to live up to these expectations. Instead of leading the people to stand and shine, they are beginning to stumble. And God, he cares much about his people. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 43, he says this, whoever causes one of these little ones, and this doesn't necessarily mean children, uh, children young in the faith. It's, it's talking about young believers. It would be better for them for a millstone to be hung around their neck and to thrown in the sea than to cause this person to stumble, to cut off your hand and cause you to sin. You, if, and if your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled and with two hands and to go to hell in the unquenchable fire. He said, it's a big deal, your example before others. Because some people's first impression of God comes through their interaction with you and me. They begin to build a theology about who God is by watching our lives. Now, they're going to be ultimately held accountable. They won't be able to blame and take the out like, well, I was just watching Eric. That won't cut it with God because he's, his word is there. Creation itself speaks of a God. So there's no excuse. But for the Christian, we should know better. God has called us to live a certain way for the sake of his name and for the benefit of others. And so as we think about the priest and this just awful job they did at doing their job, what should we take away from this? One, I want to call you to this question. What is your present view of God? And I'm going to break it down into one of two choices. Your God is either puny or he's powerful. One of the two. Now, all of us here, would say that our God is powerful. Why? Because that's the right and proper church thing to say. 
nobody in this room would say, man, our God's puny. I don't even, that seems weird just coming out of my mouth. But let me ask you this. What do you do when nobody else is around? Does what you do in secret still say that God is all-powerful? Because here's the deal. He is, and God sees everything that we do. That's not a puny God. That's a powerful God. What do we do with our time? What do we do with our words? What do we do with the resources that God has given to us? What is our present view of God? Is he puny or is he powerful? How we live communicates one of those two. And friends, as we see tonight and as we've sung tonight, our God is a powerful God. Two, be easy for us as people just listening to this. But yeah, he's talking to the priest. Yeah, this is a message for Eric and for Alan and for Charles and for Bill and for Matt. And it is. But in the scripture, God says that the Christian, we're a kingdom of priests. Now, we're supposed to lead the way and to be an example for you to follow, but you yourself are a priest as well. You are a messenger, you're an ambassador, you're a representative of Christ wherever he's placed you. And our lives instruct and influence others. We're like, man, that's a lot of pressure. Well, here's the good news. We have a great high priest. So that puts things in balance. It really brings purpose to our job description. Because God hasn't asked us to save anybody. Because we can't. God's asked us to have confidence in his great high priest, who was Christ. Who was calm and who has carried out the priestly responsibilities perfectly. Who is our mediator, our go-between. Someone we can count on. We can have confidence in. Who stood the pressure of temptation with complete victory, which made him the perfect sacrifice. This is Jesus, our great high priest. This is what all, even as we look through Malachi, this is ultimately what it's pointing to, the, the one to come. And for us, Jesus has come. And he's coming again. And it's my duty as a pastor, as a servant of Christ, to to tell you that truth that he's coming again. And for you to consider that and not to put off what God may be telling you. Perhaps you are here today and you would agree concerning God's word and what his spirit has shown you that you are going through the motions, that you are cold in some ways or apathetic in your relationship with God. Go to him. Not in shame, but in confidence, because God will forgive. And if you're here tonight without Christ, friend, you're in a good place. Perhaps God is calling you to a relationship with him. If that's so, we can talk afterward. You can talk with whoever you came here. But if God is speaking to you about 
following him, knowing him, I urge you to investigate that intuition, that voice that's speaking to you. It may indeed be his spirit. Let us help you discern that and work with you and help you in that. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. God, this is a weighty word for us as your people. And Lord, you don't put it upon us to crush us, Lord. You put it on us, Lord, just so we would we would trust you, Lord. Because we're unable to do any of these things that we're talking about tonight. Living a holy life, living a life set apart for you. Lord, having a desire for you in the first place without your help. And so, Lord, help us this evening. Help us be honest with ourselves. Help us to be humble before you. And Lord, when we do that, that is a spirit that you will not resist. That is a spirit that you will draw close to. That is a spirit that you will lift up. And so I pray, God, that that you would show us any areas of sin or unfaithfulness in our life, and we would confess those to you, knowing that you you will forgive us. God, help us, Lord, here this evening to respond faithfully to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing, Perhaps as we contemplate, I just want to remind you again of the great grace that is ours here this evening as we stand up and sing and respond to God's word is that we have an opportunity for you to be prayed for. To my left and to your right, we have a prayer room and there'll be people in there ready to pray with you. And it's just a reminder, hey, that we're in this together, that we're on the way, that we're not perfect yet, but God is working on us. And so if there's something Did you want us to make a matter of prayer? Uh, If you need encouragement, I encourage you to uh, quietly slip out of your seat and go to to your right and my left and just ask for prayer, ask for help. Uh, Because we have a good help that comes from our good God.